We've been moving across Exodus, and uh, this morning I want us to look kind of at 19 and 20. We're going to start with verse 1 and 2 of verse 20, of chapter 20, when it says, Then God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. He says he brought them out from slavery. He took them out of their slavery. So he brought them to, to freedom uh, from Egypt, from where, where they had been. We, we've talked about that uh, in the last couple of weeks. In, in his book, The Finishing Touch, Chuck Swindoll tells a story about a, kind of a farmer's market in northern India where people brought their stuff to sell and to trade. And one farmer brought in a whole covey of quail. He had caught this covey, and uh, he hoped to get the attention of passersby by tying strings to their legs. And then he tied the strings to rings, and then he set the ring down over the top of a stick. That way he could hold the birds there, and uh, yet they weren't in a cage. Well, what happened is those birds started walking in a circle. That's the only thing they could do was just go in a circle because they were attached to that stick by their rings. But it didn't do much good. didn't seem like anybody wanted to buy the quail. Uh, but then a devout Hindu, you know, and they have the, they're, they're the, uh, he was a holy man. He was in that, in that region, and he believed in the Hindu idea of respect for all life. And so as he was watching these birds walking around in that monotonous circle, he, he, his heart went out to them, and he says to the farmer, he says, he says I want to buy all those birds. And uh, the farmer said, okay, he paid for them. And then he said to the farmer, now I want you to set them free. And the farmer said, what? What's that? He says, you heard me cut the strings from their legs and turn them loose, set them all free. And so the old farmer shrugged, bent down, and cut the strings off the quail. Well, you would have thought that they would have flown away, but they didn't. They simply kept marching in a circle around that stick. Uh, a little frustrated, the Hindu man shooed them off, and they all took up and they flew, and they flew just a little ways away, got down on the ground, and started walking in circles again. They were enslaved to, to that circle. Even though they were freed from their bonds, they just kept going round and round in circles, like they were still tied to it. When the children of Israel were free from the Egyptians. God challenged them. He challenged them to be different than they were. He wanted to give them everything that they needed to maintain that freedom. And, and the things that he suggested for them, the things that he commanded for them, may not sound the best to you, but it is the best for them. And remember, they've gone into the desert, and one of the things that we learned from the very beginning is that they're seeking the glory of God. Uh, and so Moses, in chapter 19, Moses goes onto the mountain, and the Lord, verse 9, 
The Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will come to you in a thick cloud, so that the people may hear when I speak with you, and may also believe in you forever. Then Moses told the words of the people to the Lord. And I want you to notice as we go through this Exodus experience, this experience in the desert, and the glory of the Lord, the number of times the presence of God is mentioned in connection with clouds. You know, it's no wonder we look at clouds and, and, and see God's glory. We look, we look at the way the heavens uh, react, and it <coughs> makes us to think about God and think about who God is. Because over and over we read that in chapter 19, verse 16, it says, So it came about on the third day when it was morning that there were thunder and lightning flashes and a thick cloud upon the mountain and a very loud trumpet sound so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. Now Mount Sinai was all in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire and its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace and the whole mountain quaked violently. And so God has set them free. He has brought them out of Egypt. He has set them free to go into the desert seeking God's glory. And then they get to Mount Sinai very quickly. And he gave them ten commandments. Now come on, can you beat that? All the way there to see the glory of God. And when they got there, he gave them a bunch of rules to keep. He said, this is how you should live. How do you figure that? How, how, how do you put that all together? It's, it's pretty simple. There, there's another tale. I think it's another Swindoll tale about uh, a missionary in Africa who was hard trying to convert an old native chief. And the chief was very old, and the missionary was very Old Testament, if, if you know what I mean. His version of Christianity leaned very heavily on the thou shalt nots. And as he talked about it, finally the, the chief said, I do not understand. You tell me that I must not take my neighbor's wife. That's right, said the missionary. Are his oxen? Are his ivory? That, that's quite right. And I must not dance the war dance and then ambush him on the trail and kill him? Absolutely right. The old chief said, well, I can't do any of those things anyway. I'm too old. So to be old and to be Christian are the same thing? <laughs> you know, many people see the Ten Commandments that way. They're just negative. They're thou shalt nots. Uh, perhaps uh, when we see the heart of God and the heart of the matter is, is really fidelity and integrity and concern for other people will begin to get a better idea of what the Ten Commandments really are. Before we get to that, though, let, let me speak to you just a second about the Old Testament law. If you talk to very many people very much, you know, people are always pointing out things that are said in the Old Testament, and, and they treat those things like they're things that we ought to believe, just like we believe everything else. Just, you know, that, that all, of the, all of the Old Testament and all the New Testament 
it's all alike. It all says the same thing. There's no, uh, there's no differences in the purpose and in the things that are being said. For example, in the Bible, there are three laws. We think about the law. There, there are three kinds of laws in the Bible. There's the law of God, the law of Moses, and the law of Christ. Those are three different laws. They're not the same. Uh, the law of God is the Ten Commandments. They're the commandments that come from the beginning, before God gave the law of Moses. Okay? They're the things that are in the Ten Commandments. And the law of God is valid for all people for all time. If we want to be free, we must understand the law of God. It's accepted by society in general, even still. Uh, even though we may only have kind of a, a remnant of belief in Jesus Christ and in Christianity and God, the Ten Commandments are still accepted as important in America. For example, in a survey, 91% of Americans say that it's important not to murder. I don't want to meet the other 9%, do you? But, but 91% say it's important not to murder. 90% say it's important not to steal. 88% say it's important not to bear false witness. 81% say it's important not to commit adultery. 77% say it's, it's good to honor your father and mother. <clears throat> and 73% say... It's good not to covet another person's possession. The least popular commandment in America today is the fourth commandment. Remember the seventh day and keep it holy. Keep one day holy. Only 47% believe that that's important. And so when asked about the Ten Commandments, most Americans, even today, still believe they're important. Even though they may not believe God gave them, they may not believe the story of Moses on the mountain at all, they still believe those Ten Commandments in general are important for us to follow. The second law that I mentioned is the law of Moses. The law of Moses is the Old Testament ceremonial and sacrificial laws. They're the rules about eating. These are the laws that Jesus fulfilled and overcame, and, and they were valid for Israel alone. <clears throat> Some people call it the national law, the, the laws relating to Israel, and the laws relating to Israel's religion. Uh, but it was important to understand when you're interpreting the Old Testament laws that some are the law of God and some are the law of Moses. You're no longer required to keep the law of Moses. You are required to keep, however, the law of God. The law of God never changes. It, it's always the same. And then in the scripture, there's a different kind of law. There's a new law, and that's the law of Christ. It's the New Testament law of God. Jesus said he came to fulfill the law. And it's the fulfillment of the Old Testament laws that were God's laws. For example, Jesus came and said, you know, you know that adultery is wrong. That's the law of God. 
The law of Christ says having lust in your heart is wrong. And so it, it goes another step. The, uh, you know, the same thing with murder. Uh, you, you know that, it, that murder is wrong. 91% of Americans believe a murder is wrong. But the New Testament law of Christ says that hate is wrong. If you hate your neighbor, if you hate your brother, that that too is breaking the law of Christ. And so basically, it's a different level of God's requirements. Uh, it's a deeper level of the law of God for God's people. Uh, and you, know, you, you can't expect the world to understand them. You just, it, just, it just blows them apart. I remember way back in the, in the 70s when uh, Jimmy Carter was running for president and he was everywhere. He'd written a book and he was in the news and they were interviewing him everywhere. Uh, he was interviewed by a magazine and they asked him about uh, adultery. I don't remember exactly how it all came up now. But he changed the discussion from talking about adultery to talking about lust. And he says it's just as wrong to lust after another person as it is to commit adultery after another person. And then he admitted, you know, I'm guilty of that. I have had lust in my heart. And they made fun of him. For, you know, because the world doesn't understand that kind of a, a deeper commitment to Jesus Christ, a deeper commitment to the, to the, to the law of God. And, and it's that kind of a law that helps us to understand we can never keep those commandments. And so if we can never keep them, what's the use of having them? If you have a standard that you can't reach, there's one thing I think that's worse than that. And that's not having a standard at all. Not having anything to shoot for. So the Ten Commandments of, of not a description of, of what we do, but it's rather an affirmation of what we recognize that we ought to do. It ought to be the goal to live, not just according to God's law in the Old Testament, the Ten Commandments, but according to God's law in the Old Testament and the law of Christ in the New Testament that makes those even deeper for us. So this Old Testament law, this law of God, the Ten Commandments, uh, that's what's in chapter 20. Chapter 20 is the giving of the Ten Commandments. And so when we come to, to chapter 20, God begins by saying, I brought you out of the, the uh, Egypt. I, I set you free from your slavery. For 400 years, Israel had been in bondage in Egypt. When uh, Moses went on the mountain and the people stood there at the foot of the mountain, not one single person standing there had ever been able to make any decision concerning his own life. He had been an absolute slave. The government, the government of uh, Egypt, told him where to live, where to work, what to eat. And uh, for a while, the government had taken every male child born to an Israelite and, and killed it. But now they were free. 
You know, they'd been tied up to that stick, walking in circles. But now they were free. They were out of all of that. And God was saying to them, I have set you free. You're free, right? Right, you're free. Remember that you're free. But they just kept living like they were under bondage. God said, let me tell you how to stay free. And he gave them the Ten Commandments. That's what the commandments were. The commandments were not to keep people down. They were to set people free. They were to set them free from the bondage that they had lived in. You know, many nations, many societies and cultures have fought for and won freedom. But you know, no nation has ever been able to keep it for very long. Uh, It takes courage to win freedom. But it takes character to keep it. Freedom does only one thing. It gives you the right to make personal choices. But if you use that right to make wrong choices, then you lose your freedom. You're like the quail. You're marching in circles again. And the worst enemies of freedom in our country are those who would lead us to make wrong choices. The greatest threat to our national security is our own lack of character. That's our threat. In another story, I'm telling you just lots of tales that I can't back up, but it's a good story. Uh, the only child of a multimillionaire was visiting his father in the hospital. The father is straining to see his son through, through his oxygen, around his oxygen mask. And the boy says, how are you doing, Dad? And he says, well, looks like this is it, son. I'm not long for this world. It's going to all be yours. All $80 million is going to be yours. Then he began to slip quite rapidly and started having a little bit of trouble getting a breath at all. Dad, the son said, is there something I can do? Yes, son, he says, take your foot off the oxygen hose. (laughs) Every person, every organization, every time we're tempted to break one of those commandments, we're standing on the oxygen hose of our society. We're keeping it from being able to breathe. I want you to listen to the words of James Madison. James Madison was the fourth president of the United States and one of our founding fathers. And here's what he said. We have staked the whole future of American civilization, not upon the power of government, far from it. We have staked the future of all our political institutions upon the capacity of mankind for self-government, upon the capacity of each and all of us to govern ourselves, to control ourselves, to sustain ourselves according to the Ten Commandments of God. Isn't that incredible? What he said is our founding fathers knew that they could win our freedom by courage. But we were going to have to keep our freedom by character. And, and we need to remember that. 
about our character. The Ten Commandments are the foundation for moral society. The old English preacher William Barclay says that the Ten Commandments are the law without which Nathan nationhood is possible. You know, if, if, if there's no law, if there's no rule against murder and thieving and adultery and coveting and taking, if there's no law against any of those things, uh, we're, you know, we're, we're going to be in trouble. And you don't have to be very profound to realize that the hardest problems that we face are the moral ones. You know, John Kennedy can say in 1960, before the end of this decade, we're going to put a man on the moon. And we can put a man on the moon. We have that ability. But what president can stand up and say, before the end of this decade, we're going to be a moral people. We're going to solve all the moral problems in our country. You know, they're the most difficult ones to deal with. Integrity is one of the most difficult things for a person to even have. And we know that the great civilizations of the past went down, not primarily because of a lack of material resources, but because of moral decay and a lack of concern for the general welfare of the people. Just, you know, look through the history of the 20th century, and you see that over and over again. Several years back in Tennessee, the Tennessee Supreme Court ruled it unconstitutional for classrooms to have Ten Commandments on the wall. Remember, Ten Commandments are the foundation of our society. So our founding fathers said. But they said it's unconstitutional for the Ten Commandments to hang on the wall. And here's the reason they gave. It's unconstitutional for the Ten Commandments to hang on the walls of a classroom since the students might be led to read them, meditate upon them, respect them, or obey them. Wouldn't that be terrible? Wouldn't it be terrible if the students were starting to obey the Ten Commandments? You know, I had one question that... You know, if I'd been there, I'd ask the Tennessee Supreme Court, I just have one question. Which one of the commandments do you not want them to obey? You know, which ones do we want them to break? I had an interesting discussion with a, with a person who said, well, that's the only thing the government could do. If we're going to teach morals, then we have to decide whose morals we're going to teach. So the downside of that is so we don't teach morals. The morals of free society was founded on what would be a good choice for us. And as we watch before our very eyes the fabric of our society deteriorate in front of us, we're at the same time listening to that postmodern course that says there are no absolutes. Therefore, there is no room in our society for thou shalt not. Folks, don't be scared away from the thou shalt nots. The thou shalt nots of God are there to give us freedom.
And if we don't have that freedom, we're just like the quails. We're mired in marching in circles. And when we talk about right and good, we're not dealing with merely our own subjective ideas. But we're dealing with something that is. It it exists. If there's anything that's right, then there have to be some things that are wrong. They can't be right and wrong at the same time. And so there's nothing more important for us than the effort to find out what is right and follow it. We want to do the right thing, and it's important. But this in itself proves disappointing because we might want to do the right thing and still not get anything done because we wouldn't know what the right thing was. So the Ten Commandments. There were two tablets divided into two lists of commands. The first tablet had four. The second tablet had six. The first four relate to God. The second six relate to other people. The first four commandments are theological. The second six are ethical. But they're interconnected. Jesus told us this in the New Testament. Somebody told him, well, what's the greatest commandment? Somebody asked Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? Uh, It's in Matthew 22, verse 36. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? He had all the law. He knew all that Old Testament law. He he knew all of it. He knew the law of Moses. He knew the law of God. He knew everything that was in the Old Testament. And he says, what's the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. And those are the first four commandments. They're vertical commandments. They're commandments between me and God. They're about priority. Their first four are priority about God. There's the priority to to choose God over paganism or to choose God over atheism. There's the priority to choose God instead of idolatry or false God. And there's a... um, vertical command about choosing God and being sincere instead of insincere and then there's the one about religiosity he, he chooses to, to warn us about having a mild religi- religiosity in other words keep, keep that command to keep one day separate from the rest keep one day holy as a day of rest and then Jesus goes on to say, but the second commandment is just like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. These are the horizontal commands. These are the ethical commands. There's a command for family. There's a command for life. There's a command for sexual purity. There's a command for personal property. There's a command for truth. And there's a command against greed. And so life is special. And God breathed into the first humans the breath of life, and they became a living soul. And so God says there's a priority for life. There's a priority for family. There's a priority for sexual purity and personal property and truth and against greed. 
And then in verse 18 of chapter 20, it says, And all the people perceived the thunder and the lightning, the flashes and the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood at a distance. Then they said to Moses, Speak to us yourself, and we will listen. But don't let God speak to us, lest we die. And Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid, for God has come in order to test you, and in order that the fear of him may remain with you, so that you may not sin. So the people stood at a distance, while Moses approached the thick cloud where God was. Now I read those verses to you just, just to make this point. People still try to keep God and his commandments away from them. You go do that, they say, but leave us alone. You know, we'll talk to you, but we don't want to hear from God. We don't want to know what God has to say. So these commandments are the basis for our culture, for our society. They don't motivate us to serve God. Uh, you know, I've never heard of any person read the Ten Commandments and then be motivated to, to love God or to serve God. But if we want to serve God, we need to recognize them as simple, clear descriptions of what God expects of us. Last time I preached the Ten Commandments was 20 years ago. And uh, cable TV, the mogul of cable TV back in those days was Ted Turner. You remember Ted Turner? And, uh, uh, TBS, was that his? Turner Broadcasting System? Turner Network TV, and, you know, he he just had, he had a lot of them. He got very rich, bought a couple of ranches, one in New Mexico, one in Montana, I think. He said, in an interview, he declared that the Ten Commandments are just obsolete. They're obsolete. He said, told the members of the National Newspaper Association in Atlanta. The problem with the biblical Ten Commandments is they don't relate to the current global problems, such as overpopulation and the arms race. We're living without moted rules, he said. The rules that we're living under is the Ten Commandments. He even, he even admitted that those were the rules in our society. And I bet nobody here even pays much attention to them because they're too old. Once again, I, I would like to ask Ted Turner, which ones are too old to listen to? Because when Moses went up on the mountain, there was no nuclear weapons, and there was no poverty, and the Ten Commandments today wouldn't go over. Nobody wants to be commanded. Commandments are out. Those are all Ted Turner's words. But folks, the truth is, they're the basis for our society. And Jesus came to fulfill them. The Ten Commandments are a simple, clear description of what God requires for us to be acceptable, acceptable in the sight of God. And Jesus says we can't keep them. It's impossible. And that's why the gospel is so important. 
That's why the gospel is so unique, because the gospel begins with our lack of ability to keep the commands. Paul says if you're guilty of one, you're guilty of them all. Paul says the breaking of the commandments, the breaking, the penalty for breaking them is death. So then he says, so we all deserve to die. That's who we are. And the gospel begins with that lack of ability to keep the commands. But Jesus came to fulfill them. He kept them all. And he paid the penalty for our sins. Guys, that's the gospel. Go like this if that's good news. You know, that's good news. Jesus came to fulfill them. He kept them. He paid the penalty. And he died for us. And so the Ten Commandments or the foundation of civilization as God created them. He gave them to an emerging Hebrew society as they came out of slavery to keep them free. Our sophisticated, learned civilization has thrown them out. Or we're trying to throw them out. And we're in the fight of our life. 